Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at the last in our coverage of Doomwatch, the movie Doomwatch, Winter Angel. Synopsis. A man named Sam is spying on the movements of some shipping containers. He makes a report via telephone box to the answering machine of an unknown confederate detailing that more containers have arrived and that one of them is hot. Before he can finish, his car has been backed up against the phone booth and a killer gasses him to death, destroying his photographic evidence at the same time. On a cow farm, Ewan is the man who received the answer phone message from Sam. Ewan, in turn, calls and leaves an answer phone message for Dr. Spencer Quist, alerting him to the situation. Ewan goes out to gather more info. Dr. Neil Tannerhill is a theoretical physicist at a major university in England, leading expert on black holes, protege of Dr. Quist, and a man who's about to move, along with his medical doctor wife, Meg, and children, to work at MIT in the United States. He's been receiving cryptic postcards from Quist, another of which arrives today, containing equations. Unable to figure out what the equations mean, nor how to operate a telephone to call and ask Quisk what they mean, Tanner Hill poses them to his postgrads to see if they can figure them out. They are unable to completely solve them, but posit that two of them have to do with black holes, and one may be about pollution. A team from Special Branch and Military Intelligence search the farm where Ewan lives. They discover he knows about the latest containers and has been in contact with Quist. Special Branch warns military intelligence that Quist is too high profile, a national institution. They'll need higher clearance to do anything about him. Ewan is camped out, recording and the arrival and offloading of the containers in a pouring rain. One of the containers breaks free, falls and wedges sideways in the loading chute and starts a fire. The workmen use another container like a hammer to try to unjam it. This second container breaks open, dropping highly radioactive fuel rods and causing a huge explosion and release of blue radiation. On the base, military intelligence take over the search for Ewan, and Ewan just escapes with his camera as they close in on his hide. He evades them till morning, when he encounters the farmer from the farm where he lives and works. He passes the camera off to him, then sets off, leading them away. He is captured by military intelligence and taken for a one-way helicopter ride out to sea. Next, we meet Luke Godwin and Dr. Terry Riley, members of the Animal Nation Warriors. Luke has received a fax ostensibly from Ewan asking for help, but it appears to be in the wrong handwriting. But that will have to wait. They've got something big planned tonight, and it's not just sex on top of a building. That night, Quist meets up with Tanner Hill and his wife at the awards ceremony held by Autogene, a private research firm. At the event, Quist tries to convince Tannerhill that his research can be used for military or evil purposes. Tannerhill denies that. His work is theoretical and about black holes, which have no practical purpose. 
Quist also tells him that Tannerhill's work may be taken up by the Pandora Corp, and they've been taking in nuclear waste at a disused nuclear plant. Tannerhill is introduced to Hugo Cox, computer genius, with Intel on Pandora. During a speech, Luke hacks a video of animal cruelty to play on the screens while Terry interrupts on behalf of the Animal Nation warriors who storm in protesting. Quist cheers them on. They escape to the roof where I think they may have sex. Quist is detained by the authorities and held without questioning all night by military intelligence. When Special Branch find out, they release him and suggest that he should file a complaint. Zeist, boss of Pandora, arrives at the nuclear plant and demands a status from Toby Ross, chief scientist. Ross starts to enumerate the casualties, but Zeist just twirls his mustachios and cuts him off. No, no, I don't give a damn about that. What about the plant? It's bad. Our black hole is oscillating, and it's going to bust things up and destroy the UK if we don't give it more power from the electrical grid. Nope, can't do that. PR disaster. And people will find out. Find some other way. Terry and Luke follow up on Ewan's facts the next day. It was the farmer who faxed them. He lost his daughter to radiation and called in Ewan's people to investigate. He turns over the recorder to them, and they are horrified at what they see. Terry tries to get the tape to Quist, while Luke decides to break into the plant and gather evidence. Luke scales the building just as Hugo hacks into the plant's security cameras. He watches him enter an airlock and then approach the black hole containment area. The intense gravity pulls him to his death. Military intelligence is following Terry with plans to kill her, making it look like an overdose. She evades them and gets to Quist's home, but he's not there. She leaves the tape in his mailbox but then calls and leaves an answer phone message for him. Unfortunately, his lines are tapped, and military intelligence are on to it. Quist has gone to see Tannerhill. He must take up the mantle of Doomwatch. There is no one else. Toby Ross was Quist's other protege, and he is working for Pandora. Pandora is privately owned, but staffed entirely by military nuclear experts. They've collected over 2,400 tons of nuclear waste from the Ukraine, some of it weapons-grade, and there is no oversight or accountability on them at all. If Ross's black hole experiment fails, there are but two outcomes. Vaporizing the UK or a China syndrome meltdown resulting in the total destruction of the Earth in just 1,230 years. Either would not be a good result. Quist returns home, finds the tape in his letterbox, but exhausted, falls asleep in the chair without listening to his answer phone. He doesn't hear a call from Hugo either. Hugo is trying to tell him about Luke, and when he can't reach Quist, he tries to call Tannerhill, who is at church and also doesn't receive the call. Military intelligence breaks into Quist's home and rigs the gas to explode, killing Quist and destroying the only copies of the full Doomwatch master tapes, thus completing a job that the BBC only aspired to. Hugo and Tannerhill receive Quist's legacy, digital copies of the Doomwatch files, the torch now passes on to them. At the funeral, Ross is there, and Tannerhill quietly confronts him. Ross confides that there's a problem, and Tannerhill demands that he get in to see it. He agrees. Later, as Tannerhill appears to go in, Hugo provides him with insurance. A classic, if I don't return in a few hours, this story will be plastered all over the news tonight. Terry, unaware that Luke is dead, breaks into the plant to find him. Hugo spots her on the hacked security cameras and warns her to get out. She doesn't heed his warning, even when she sees that military intelligence have spotted her and are in pursuit. With Hugo's help, they are tricked into the airlock and then through the door that led to Luke's death. 
Like night follows day, the bad boys from military intelligence meet the same fate as Luke. Tannerhill immediately assesses the situation and concludes they need to throw more power at it. Zeist objects, but Tannerhill's force of personality overcomes all, and after blacking out the entirety of the UK, the black hole is brought under control. But black holes are forever, and this one, once created, will never go away, nor will the potential it will destroy the world. They must be ever vigilant. So Doomwatch, <clears throat> Winter Angel... Um, I'm going to only guess that this was intended to be a pilot for a new potential series. Indeed. Um, and I have not the slightest clue why they call it Winter Angel. I'm assuming it has something to do with Hugo Cox's um, computer interfaces. In- interesting computer interface, yeah. <laughs> I, yes, that was, um, I don't know. There was no explicit reference to it. I could also wonder if it was something to do with the cold that was being generated by the black hole or the, the equipment around the black... I, I don't know. It was just a weird name. I mean, it kind of sounds cool, but... Well, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, it's no, it's no patch on Tomorrow the Rat. But uh, anyway, what did you think of this um, this film? Film. I, I was rooting for this. I've got to say, I... I think there should be a Doomwatch revival. And obviously I knew that this hadn't happened. So I guess the chances are there was some reason for that. But I was was hoping it was more that it was a commercial than critical failure, um, not knowing anything about it. It was weird. I mean, it's not the kind of thing... It's not the kind of thing I would expect Channel 5 to do. And although although it had a kind of... A style of its own and uh, and a reasonably kind of consistent tone to the way it was it was filmed and directed. Bits of it, I thought, this is good, yeah. And bits of it, I thought, what the hell were you thinking? I mean, what? I I can say that having watched it, I would not bother to watch it again. It it's I, I don't think it's good. Um. I don't think it's, I don't really think it's Doomwatch either. Um, and I mean, Doomwatch is pretty, pretty broad. What, what Doomwatch can and cannot be, but it just. So why is it not Doomwatch? Well, is every, is every melodrama about a nuclear disaster Doomwatch? No. Is the China syndrome so... Doomwatch? No, it's not. It's, it's just a, it, it, it it's so disconnected from the actual nature of Doomwatch being a government oversight organization that's tracking keeping track of scientific oh no that's that's interesting see to me I, this felt like this is some crackpot uh you know it it's clearly sides with the the radical uh environmentalists like the animal nation warriors and you know quist standing up and applauding them and I don't know that I I don't know that quist would would be that man? I mean, yeah, it's many years later. Maybe he has just kind of deteriorated into a bitter old man. But I, I don't. I've know. got a big question mark over that in in my notes. I mean, I I did I did wonder what has happened in twenty seven years that 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 supposedly had happened. The, the I mean, the, I'm really interested in what you think is and is not Doomwatch about this because I really couldn't disagree more with you that that Doomwatch has to be government oversight it it 
that doesn't seem to me in the least bit essential to the essence of what the show is about. On the let's other hand, I do agree with you. This let, is not let, Doom Watch. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say let's just let's just delete the word Doom Watch from this script. Call it Armageddon, Armageddon Files, and and rename Quist to Jones. Would you have guessed this was Doom Watch if you'd watched this? I mean, no, you wouldn't. You just go. Yeah, I, just I don't. A, I th- you I know, don't it's got know. No, I think it's, I might have done. You might think yeah, it's a bit Doom Watch esque, maybe, but I, you know, I, <clears throat> nah, I just, I kind of don't, I kind of don't get it. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch I mean, of things I do not, I do not think Doom Watch has to be. So if I was looking at something going, is this Doom Watch? I would not, I would not think. Well, it has to be set in, you know, 1970 or 70. It has to be set between 1970 and 72. Uh, I would not think it has to be about a a bunch of men in a government office overseeing. Okay, well, let, let me let me address that one because Doomwatch is, amongst other things, <clears throat> a, a political animal. It, it is it is a it is a a thing that the government has created that the government doesn't want or that the government wants to control and the government cannot control because of Quist or for a variety of reasons and. That is part of the fabric of what it what it is. Taking mm-hmm. Doomwatch out of that and turning them into just another private group of concerned people makes them perpetual outsider activist status, and that is a different that that's that's the difference, really, to me. And and no, no, you know no. this this suffer this suffers so much from the most worst cliches of we want to make a follow-up TV series that was really popular. What do we do? And we're going to pass the torch on to a new generation of people. They're going to be, it's going to be a completely different style. It's going to be a completely different tone. It's going to be completely different actors. Um, But how do we pass the torch on? I know let's, let's bring in one character from the old show and kill him off. So that they're guilted into taking up the mantle of... I've seen that so, so many times when they try to revive a show that I was really disappointed in that aspect of it. It's like, wow, you guys just read this right out of Stereotype Script 101. But I don't don't see it other than I I knew Quist, so I guess we call it Doomwatch. But apart from that... I, I don't I don't disagree with you about the cliches in terms of it being a reboot. I don't disagree with you that it's not Doomwatch. The thing that I differ on, I guess, is that to me, I mean, yes, Doomwatch is a is a political animal, absolutely a political animal. But that doesn't mean that it has to be a government department. That doesn't mean it has to be I mean, it, it obviously did become that, particularly in the third series, where it was all about the the kind of uh, civil service aspects and, and working for the minister um, all, all of the time. But actually, again, what we're talking about there is the context is it's 1970-whatever, and you're in the in the middle of a, of a completely different 
political scenario. It's it's the whole you know the post-war consensus aspect of things. The civil service is hugely powerful. It's the civil service, it's industries, it's unions, and all of those are present in in Doom Watch the show because it is about the politics of the time. This is 1999, so it needs to be about the politics of the time. It doesn't, therefore, need to be bogged down in the trappings of what the show was in the early 1970s. I would have preferred it... Including any of them, including the name Doomwatch. Well, the, 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 I mean, the name, the name is the name of the, is the name of the program. I, I mean, that was the other big thing. I was thinking, it, what, what are you going to pick on that makes Doomwatch Doomwatch? Does there have to be a big computer called Doomwatch in it? For me, no, absolutely not. The, the point about it is, it should, it should fulfil the function of Doomwatch the show, but it needs to reinvent what that means for 1999 and i entirely agree with you that it's completely the wrong way to do that to try and draw some kind of continuity through the fact that one of your one of your characters was in the show but as you say it's done in an incredibly cliched way and why you know why do it if 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 john paul isn't available and sadly the reason is um, he was not he was no longer with us by the time it was it was made. Then, um, you know, let's let's not have Quist. I didn't get what if you took Quist out of this story, I didn't really see what you would lose from it. Other than you know, if if you were a new viewer to this, other than the fact that it gives you some kind of legacy from the seventies show. It, it it wouldn't mean anything to a, to a new viewer, and it wouldn't it, would, it therefore wouldn't view any differently if you were to take him out. I could fix this uh, more or less, not uh, the structural problems, but so here's what I would do instead. Quist should not be in it. Tanner Hill, it's okay if Tanner Hill was his protege. Absolutely, right? there's that. There yeah. is that. There is this. I knew Quist. I knew what he stood for. I share some of his values because he is the one who mentored me. And I'm a brilliant physicist. He's a brilliant physicist. That's fine. Hugo Cox? Absolutely. Hugo Cox's freaking computer, he could have named it Doomwatch in honor of the old computer. He <laughs> could have been the guy. He could have been the guy that could have gone to Tanner Hill and said, Look, you know, I was a big fan of, of Quist before he died 20 years ago. And I have been working. You know, I've got this group of people. We're working as an organization. I got my computer. I hack into stuff. I need your help. You know, I had to turn to you because you and Quist and and what they could have done it that way. They wouldn't have had to bring in a, a, a frankly lackluster Quist replacement, um, just to be a doddering old man to to die. And you you could have made an argument that said, sure. Instead of this is Doomwatch 1972, this is a group of radicals that have decided to symbolically take up the name of Doomwatch to go after the same types of things in this different world of 1999. Then I still would have, you know, I might have said, well, I don't know if you needed to do it, but okay, fine. We, we, I can live with that. It's, it's, interesting. it's not it's the same because there's no continuity, really, between them. No, but I'm not sure you need you need. I don't know whether you need continuity because you could you could have just made the show on on the pre, on the premise of of 
Doomwatch, i.e. O- oversight looking at the 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 ethics of uh, un- unfettered scientific. Um, it's I mean it's not it's not about it's not about watching the scientists. It's about watching the people who are using the discoveries of science. It's about the technology really rather than the science. But regardless of that, whatever you whatever you you take as being the essence of the show, you could you could certainly reinvent that in a nineteen ninety nine way without there being any connection whatsoever to the 1972 show. Now, I, I, I would like it to have that. It's interesting that you and I were thinking along similar lines. Um, my fix was, hey, why don't we have um, Tarrant's daughter instead of Quist? Why don't, why don't we have her bringing Tannehill these files that she found after... Quist died four died, years ago. Yeah. You know, that, to me, that would have been a much more interesting, an, an interesting way of making the link, and it would have been satisfying for me. But I think it would have been interesting in its own right, from the point of view of new viewers who didn't understand who she was, because what you'd be talking about was a a new fresh character, but whose motivation for this was not that this was her own scientific quest or whatever, but that this was something that was important to someone who mattered to her who had passed away and who also mattered to Tannehill and therefore you instantly create a connection and boom, there's your new Doomwatch team. Did you notice that they they were very clear to draw a connection, well, clear-ish to draw a connection. This black hole, which was created, it was done by Ross, but basically it was done... Ross, being the lesser physicist, probably drew upon the work of Tanner Hill, mm-hmm. right? So Tanner Hill is actually at fault for creating this genie that can't be let out of the <laughs> bottle, much like Quist's yeah. obsession with the bomb was there. Indeed. It's like, it's here forever. We could go off at any time now, and it's my fault. I've got to protect the world. Yeah, they gave him, That's the, a great they gave point. him the Quist. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, it's, and the it's here forever, that, that ending... Just that very ending. I mean, the bit before that we'll probably come to, but just the ending where Miles Anderson says, "You know, this is, we haven't solved anything. This is here forever." Was a very Doomwatch type of ending. I, I almost expected the the proper titles to crash in at that point in the way they often did in the TV episodes. Now, now one thing that did keep me guessing throughout the course of the episode, although I think I got it right in the end, was which of the people were going to be the Doomwatch team at the end of this? Mm-hmm. You know, which one's going to have to die for the Jeopardy and which one's going to have to carry on so that they'll have that core team going into the next attempt, you know, the next, if it goes to series, you know, is it going to be Luke? Is it going to be Kelly? Is it going to be Hugo? Is it going to be the farmer? You know, it's like which, which group knew it was never going to be the farmer, but, um, <laughs> and, and yeah, it was, I, there was a little bit, you know, is, is Ewan going to make it? Nope. <laughs> it's like, no, no, Ewan's not going to make it. That one's definitely dead. So, uh, but I think it was a little disjointed because of all those threads if you will. But it's the problem with it. I don't think the threads themselves were a problem. The issue I had was that the ca- the characters that were introduced, I mean, this was quite a long 
this was longer than Doom Watch, the 1972 film, even with the adverts clipped. It felt out. like it. <laughs> it felt twice yeah. as long. But um, I, the issue I had was that dur- during the course of that, we didn't really get any any development for any of the characters. So we got the... It was almost like... I mean, I've, I don't have an issue with the number of characters. I've seen I've seen films that have many more characters than that and, ha- and are successful. But the, it almost felt like they were introducing new characters because they weren't quite sure what to do with the old ones. They'd sort of... They'd introduced them, but they hadn't found any way to develop them through the story the only person who even gets the slightest bit of development is terry riley in my opinion yeah she well tanner tanner hill did a little i mean he, he i guess i he guess he went from yeah not my problem to yeah i guess i have to solve this so yes. a little bit yeah but it was and, it and was a kind of predictable it was almost the story that had to be told about him or that it was the journey yeah. he had to go on and because that was so evident from the beginning it didn't feel like he actually went anywhere because it followed a course that you totally expected i grant you that is development of a sort but what about toby ross got, is he is he going to be in the doomwatch 2 team i i don't know i i found because I, I mean obviously another thing about Tannehill is that he's trevor eve and therefore you know you've got a a good actor in the I mean I'm not not criticizing anyone else but a lot of people in this who I wasn't particularly familiar with and wouldn't particularly go looking for again Miles Anderson I was staring at him now going oh goodness me I know you're you're familiar from something I've seen you in something I'm sure it was by Alan Plater I can't place what it is and I I jumped onto IMDb goodness me I found out that he was Roger O'Neill in uh, in House of Cards and I completely hadn't twigged that. He was actually in um, in an Alan played thing, Oliver's Travels, where he was Baron Kite, which was what was reminded me of him. And I hadn't connected those two roles either because there's something about... He's so recognisable. His profile is so recognisable. And yet, as an actor, he manages to give such a very different performance each time, even though you go, I, I know that guy. He looks familiar. Um I I want him to be in it because I th- I think I think he's I think he's really good but I I didn't necessarily think he was being set up for it. It was kind of hard to tell. I mean, he definitely went from uh, you see this little character development there. It was a little bit of I look at what I can do. I'm Frankenstein um to at the end he had at least made it an understanding that he had made a mistake. And yeah. that fixing it was more important than his career or whatever, uh, whatever it turned out to be in the end. Yeah, he, he so. said there was some depth. There was some depth there because you could you could see the the kind of conflicting motivations there. Even though for most of the episode, you could tell that his primary his primary driver was that he was absolutely terrified by. Uh, what he created and, and in whose hands he put it. At the same time, there were just those moments, those little glimpses you got of the pride and the absolute awe he had in the beauty of what he'd done, even though what he'd done was what was terrifying him so much. So another thing about this this film that felt wrong to me, it felt not doom-watchy to me, was the the overt religious tones throughout the story 
I, I, yeah, I thought they were weird. I, they were I, weird. I wondered where they were going. I, I even feel like, okay, the premise of Quist sending equations to Tanner Hill is just stupid. And it, it, at every level, you know, communication is is a skill and you have to talk to people and tell them you don't send them cryptic clues unless you're playing a game. And clearly Quist wasn't playing a game. But you could look at that after the grad students, not grad students, but the postgrads looked at it and said, well, I think this is about this. You could say, this is science reducing everything to an equation. Why would you tell about a problem at that Doomwatch had about pollution with an equation, unless you're trying to be very, very reductionist and say everything can be reduced to an equation. And yet we explicitly get that ridiculous scene at the beginning where Tanner Hill says, um, you know, I like this stained glass because it tells me that everything doesn't have an answer. So that's him saying, no, everything can't be reduced to an equation. And and then we have all the other, like the, the computer interface that's all angels and the fact that they go to church and miss out on important phone calls. And there are other instances of it. It's just, it's just kind of weird to me. Um, and I'm not 100% sure what they were trying to get at other than don't go where God says don't go, where angels fear to tread, where the winter angel fears to tread. I don't know. Um, it's weird. I, I quite liked the scenes with them puzzling over the equation. I mean, I agree with you. It didn't seem in character for Quist to be playing games in that way. Um, again, twenty-seven years. I don't know. It's it's partly, I think, why I, I liked the idea of looking through Quist's papers posthumously because you know you could be rather rather than. It being some equations he'd sent through, it could be it could be puzzling over some files or something he was working on. But I, what I liked about the scenes were the the style that the the style that Tannehill had with his students and the, the the kind of attitude he had to his students and the the way in lecturing he was. I, I appreciate it, I guess, from a pedagogical viewpoint, but he was drawing he was drawing things out through questioning, which is not necessarily the way that lecturers get stereotypically portrayed in TV shows. So okay, I was we... appreciating that. And I was appreciating the fact that he that here you here you had uh, a lecturer with a bunch of talented postgrads who I th- I thought when you say who was going to be the Doomwatch team, I thought they were going to be the Doomwatch team. And I would have preferred that in a way i mean it gives a completely different dynamic but an interesting one they did they didn't stand out to me particularly in fact they they looked a little bit like your classic late 90s cookie cutter um let's because we're making a show because we of course we're making a show that's got a a white man leading in it we're going to have one woman and one black guy as the sidekicks because you know women and yeah. and black people are sidekicks that's 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 how things were um but yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't particularly anything to do with the characters themselves it was more to do with the dynamics in those scenes can I, I can I throw a parallel here and like I say I made fun of the way Quist communicated with Tanner Hill through equations but this is exactly what Tanner Hill did to his grad students 
So we could argue yes. that Quist was posing a problem to yes. stimulate Tanner yes. Hill's mind. But that was exactly know, at, what I assume. And at, at some point, that's fine in a classroom when you're uh, trying to do whatever it is he's trying to do in a in a classroom. Um, but anyway, but that's not what Quist is doing. Quist, however, is trying to get Tanner Hill to do something. And that is an ineffective way to do that. I mean, maybe it might whet his curiosity, but but no, that just seems like a terrible... No, I, 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 thought, I thought that it was un, unlike Chris to be playing games, which, as I say, was why I didn't, yeah. I didn't think that was particularly appropriate. But it, 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 it was exactly what it seemed to me that he was, he was doing. Um, to, to, to come back, though, to, 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 your, to your other points following on from that, I wonder whether the whole... I mean, I, th- I think there are a lot of ideas in this that are underdeveloped as if they they were they were looking elsewhere, not just at Doomwatch, at what the content of this kind of sci-fi show might be. And I think you've got to take into account that in 1999 there was really one major sci-fi show yes, in the English-speaking world. <laughs> And religion was a big part of, you know, the it, it was that that whole dynamic was all about the the religion on the one side and the paranormal on the other side, and between those two characters, their scepticism of each of those things, it doesn't fit here. It, no. I mean, I I thought that they might be going somewhere with it, but it's just like they've chucked it in because they've looked at. They've looked at what's going on over there in the X-Files in much the same way that they've got all this kind of government conspiracy stuff in this. And it's not Doomwatch government conspiracy stuff. Yes, there is government conspiracy in Doomwatch episodes, unquestionably, but the, the, the government who are conspiring, who are doing, doing the things that are causing the problems that Doomwatch is un- uncovering and exposing are doing it through very clear and well-defined motives that once we understand what is happening, we can, if not sympathise with, we can at least empathise with to some degree. Yeah, these so, guys are just murderous killers. Exactly. They're, 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 they're kind of stereotypes because they're essentially playing the role of the, the, the men in black. And so there are a number of scenes in this that made me just think, what the hell was that? Why, why, why do that? Because it doesn't. This, this doesn't help the story. It's not dramatic. It doesn't help it as a political thriller, and it doesn't help it as a doomwatch story. It just undermines it. So chucking the guy out of the helicopter, for example, I was just like, what? Why? Why? There's, there's no, there's no conceivable motive for how, you know, how that's well, a, would it, would you... a rational, proportionate approach to take to the problem that you've got. Would you make the the comparison and say that perhaps since we have moved from 1970s world to 1999 world, whereas the government is not going to police itself, the government is not going to have an organization like Doomwatch, uh, they have to stay, take that up a step to show without that, they are a bunch of murderous bastards. And it's only with only with right-minded citizens. And in fact, there are like no people in this that aren't government 
that seem to well, I guess Zeist is sort of, but by and large, you know, everyone is sympathetic to the animal rights activists. I mean, heck, all the people were cheering at the at the rally or at the the invasion of the the animal warrior people uh, at the at least I think they were. It's kind of poorly delineated there, but so I think you know they are trying to draw that dichotomy between people, good governments, bad, bad, bad. I, I know and that's I, why I, we have to watch them. And, and I agree. You know, I agree. That's what get? they're trying to do. What? No accountability. What, murder people. Whatever. What I think. What I think undermines that and the whole the whole kind of political thriller aspect of it is that they completely fail to make that realistic or believable. I think, actually, in fairness, Zeiss is a character who does have a clear motive that is relatively consistent through the whole thing. You sort of know what he's after and you can sort of see how he's going to react. He's not very bright, which makes him a not very interesting character. But the other the other heavies who are going around throwing people out of helicopters, they may be immoral. I don't have a problem with portraying government or um, agencies of government as behaving in an amoral way. But why throw someone out? It doesn't. Why? Why? Why do they throw him out of the helicopter? What? What was that? Is about? it the way of? Is it the way of murdering him that bothers you, or is it the fact that they did? It's, I mean, it seems like a wasteful way to do it. I don't but, understand what the what what the end they hope to achieve is by doing it. Kill like, everyone who knows they, anything about the project. Dead men why? tell no tales. Yes, but they dead don't men want do. That's just it. that. That's not true. That's not. That's that's a. If you if you want to tell a story that is on a higher higher plane of reality, I think you have to take into account that modern forensic evidence will actually find quite a lot of stories in dead men, and therefore, if you're going to take someone out, you've got to you've got to weigh up the risks of what doing that involved you've also got the fact that in doing it you are whether whether or whether or not you personally have any moral objections to it you are actually crossing a legal line that you cannot ignore you could potentially be prosecuted for for murder you've done if if you don't if 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 you don't think that you have the 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 kind of the backing for now that that becomes a very interesting question because you that because you've then got to look at or what is what is the organization that is protecting you as a as an employee as a as a security operative or whatever um if you get into a legal situation where you do get caught up and held to, held to account for you, for your actions and obviously the the kind of level of confidence you have in the organization is going to be uh, it, that that's going to be a major factor, even if your kind of moral qualms are not. But there's no explanation of how those characters, or no exploration of how those characters are behaving in those terms. It's simply taken for granted that they are these kinds of men in suits. They are like the men in black. They just, they turn up and they do bad stuff. And that's just their sole function in the story. Now, there is a scene in this film where the guy from special branch basically says you guys 
are going to get in trouble. I don't think that he, he knows the full extent of what they've done, but I think he has a good idea that they are operating, operating extrajudicially. And I kind of wondered in that moment, and, and also this sort of sympathetic portrayal that he was given when he found out about Quist being detained, if he wasn't going to be their official man on the inside of the police in the future, if it went to future. You know, the police are not, the police are not all bad. The military, yeah, but the police, no. They're, they're, they're still, you know, there's still some law and order in the universe, and that's our guy. And I, again, it didn't go anywhere. Those guys died, uh, so no need to solve the problem in the legal sense. But, yeah, it was... Um, well, one one yeah, thing he could, he could that, have been he could have been the sort of Neil Stafford of the of the Doomwatch team. Yeah, but um, it still it still felt to me. I mean, I think I think that there are there are vastly more. I mean, again, you can just look at the X Files. Really, the the much more sophisticated, um, much more sophisticated investigate or or insights into the kind of into. Um, Interjurisdictional disputes between different branches of governments. I mean, goodness me, this is this is uh, at least five years after Between the Lines aired, where the, there were lots of interesting stories about things that were going on in special branch. They they could have done better on this, I think. Mm. Well, one question about the guy, the killer guys, or it's it's tangentially related. Um, Ross went to work for the military. He said that he went to work yes. on a military project and then the government sold the project off to private industry. So obviously that's a ding at Britain's rounds of privatization. Yes. Um, along the way. And I wonder if there is supposed to be a, a parable <laughs> there about the fact that, you know, some of the accountability, they get the power of, of having government, auspices if you will but not the same level of accountability yeah and absolutely. so I mean, these guys who were military PFI. are now uh, that's what we train the military to do your job is to kill people we tell you to kill you go kill and here it's being done by a private firm so they can the military can wash their hands of it but at the same time they've supplied the killers they supply the money they supply the authority and bad things happen when you privatize and this is one of them I'm I'm fine with all of that. As I say, it's literally just this. The way they realised it makes very little sense. It, 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 it there's no kind of in-story coherence to it, and dramatically, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't aid the story. It's not interesting and it's not thrilling. Mm. Now, question. Well, first off, observation. Um, we do not have or have not had in this country, tomorrow's world. And, uh, but, but some of us have heard of it. Uh, particularly if you watch any British TV, you'll, you'll hear of tomorrow's world. It is always a stand in for, uh, people talking about the way, what the future is going to be like. I gotta say, I think they must've stolen the car of the future, Hugo Cox's car and his computers <laughs> right out of somebody's, 
in the future, cars will have fax machines built in. <laughs> it's it's funny, isn't it? But that that um, tomorrow's world has sort of disappeared from popular consciousness yeah. over here. I mean, it's almost twenty years since it finished. Back then, it would. You're absolutely right. It would have been. It would have been on the tip of everyone's tongue. It's, it was kind of common currency, even if you didn't watch it. You knew you knew what it was like. You knew what it was about. You knew its kind of style. And in a way, I mean, it 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 predates Doomwatch, but it, it's the kind of counterpart to Doomwatch. It, I mean, it's not fictional, obviously, but it's it's like looking at technology, extrapolating it into the future, but instead of going. Oh my God! Look at all the things that could happen. You go, whoa! Mm-hmm. Look at all! Look at how cool everything could be in the future. And it was like in the car, Hugo Cox. I mean, I preferred it in the car. Went to the stupid, oh yeah, the, the, interfaces yeah, yeah. that he had in his posh um, mezzanine loft. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, but but the the computer he had in the car was just like Siri. I thought it was it was um, yeah, kinda. It was almost uh, yeah. far-sighted. It, it it did feel to me like it. Of course, that was the first introduction to Hugo's technology. It, it did that is the part in particular that felt like a Tomorrow's World skit in a in mm. almost a comic. It's like we're going to have radar in cars, and there could be maps in cars, and you could even get your email read to you by a computer in the car. Need a printout? It can do it for you, and and you you, you sit it. It has that feel of think of the things we might be able to do in the car, and then implement them in a kind of awful way <laughs> because yeah. we don't know what it's really going to look like. We're just we're just spitballing ideas that you might do. But I'm thinking that probably even that hands free arrangement that he had there was not good enough. He's reading computer screens while driving. He's, um, I, I don't know why he needed a printout <laughs> of the information. Well, but, that, that's where uh, I thought, you know, this, 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 what this setup is better than Siri. Cause you, you try, you try driving along and say hard copy Siri, please. And see yeah. what happens. That's right. Yeah. So it, it, it it's, yeah, it was funny. It was funny. It was also, um, they also got in his personality that is so, back to cliche, so incredibly cliche computer hackery guy. So he gets the radar detection. Mm. He's doing work in a car. He drives past the cops. And then he goes like, let's blast him with some opera and be a jerk to him. Yeah. You know, that that fell in the category of, wow, couldn't come up with a non-stereotype, could you? Um, had to had to throw something out there to show that he's against the man. I so. didn't get the Hugo Cox character at all. I mean, it just, it didn't seem to fit at all. He's necessary. Me. I mean, w- without, without a, a supercomputer hacker, no TV show in the 90s about overcoming the government is going to be able to function. You got to have that. That's the power, man. That's the future. Yeah. Everything's controlled by computers. So, I mean, it, it's a little bit cliche. Let's let's call it what it is. Um, but then, you know, they had a big computer on Doomwatch, and they had a computer expert <laughs> that was helping them out. So, 
that one of all things kind of fits. Uh, the, the angel interface is both telling about the mental psychoses of Hugo Cox and because um, he's God commanding a bunch of angels to do his bidding. Um, okay, let's... But, <laughs> but I mean, it's also a stupid interface. Well, there's two, there's two things that really annoyed me about that computer. I mean, one is it literally was God in the sense that there was no explanation of the extraordinary powers that it appeared to have or, you know, the way it was able to access any information anywhere. You mean, you mean then, the bit where he said, uh, hack into that and, uh, and get me that? How long will it take to hack into it? It's like 18 hours. Oh, well, then get some subcontractors and hack into it. Okay, 13 minutes. Great, let's go. No, that's the other, that that's the other thing, which oh, yeah. is, which is okay. why, why would you have an interface like that? Because regardless of how cool you think it looks, I'm not saying, you know, the angels, but why, why would you, you, have the, you have the ability to just speak to it? I mean, obviously, we know what devices yeah. are like that you can just speak to, and, it, and it, the whole point of them is that they are massively uh, simplified in terms of the interface, so you can do the things that you need as quickly as possible. And so this whole idea that you have to call up different angels to do different things doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You would, you, it, it, you might, uh, you might build that into a game where you're actually trying to make tasks more difficult. But if you're, if you're talking about <laughs> an application that is intended to be functional in some way, then you're going to make it as easy to use as you possibly can. You know, it's interesting that you say this. Um, this is. I wouldn't I'm not going to say this is spoilery because it's not really spoilery but but I'll I'll draw this to a technology parallel in Star Trek Picard that just came out. Uh on board a ship in in the Star Trek universe they have not only hologram technology but they have they had created a technology on the TV show 20 20 25 years ago called a emergency holograph medical program where when the doctor died, a hologram came in and was programmed with medical knowledge. This goes all the way back to Star Trek Voyager. And so they had a character who was the hologram because the doctor was killed and they just had to leave the thing on all the time. And it could in within its, within its sphere of operations, the medical bay, it could physically touch things and move them and manipulate them and treat patients. So it was, it had, personality problems it had it's that and the other ones extrapolating forward 20 years to the future of star trek picard the captain of this ship has basically a crew of these emergency programs that appear appear when he needs them so he's got one that's a doctor and he's got one that's a navigator and he's got one that's an engineer and they're all him <laughs> with different freaking personalities they're all the same actor and they're playing one's one's a scotsman and another one's you know, uh, uh, Spanish and, and whatnot. And you're just looking at this going, what the hell is he thinking? <laughs> what, why does this make this easier? What, why does this, why is this an improvement? What, why, why not just have one interface that can do all of it? And, and let's say not have it look like you or, <laughs> or you know, I, I don't understand it. And, and I got this vibe off these angels. It's like, let's call up Azrael instead, or whichever angel he was calling up. It's like, that's the one that does hacking into security cameras, and this one hacks into 
I don't know, databases, and that one looks up newspaper articles. Why? I don't yeah. get it. It's just, it's utterly, it's utterly meant to be like, wow, look what we could do with computers in the future, written by somebody who has no clue why that would be a dumb idea. <laughs> From which, a which wouldn't, standpoint. Yeah, which wouldn't in itself have been in the slightest bit mysterious in 1999 from anyone who knew anything about usability or interface design. Right. You just look at that and go, yeah, this is just a bad idea. This is inefficient. Yes. Very inefficient. Yes. Even the fact that he has to call them, summon them forth. <laughs> because, because, because all sorts of things change. All sorts of things change. But the basic fundamental principles, they don't change. It's the possibilities, the, yeah. the technology, the affordances of the technology. They all change all the time. So, of course, it's very difficult to imagine exactly what it's going to look like. But you can look at something and go, yeah, but that's just the principles underpinning that are just wrong. They'll never be right. Yeah. I, it... it doesn't yeah it doesn't make much sense <laughs> um so yeah uh, i didn't i did i liked the fact that they had that resource available to them because it you know it's a sonic screwdriver but it it, it was so it's mr smith sadly done yeah ah uh, what else have we got here anything i think we've i think we've probably got to talk about the science Oh, um, there was science in this. Oh wait, yeah. Well, it's a sci-fi plot. It's a sci-fi plot because, in, I mean, early on, you and Ben were talking about Doomwatch. Is is Doomwatch sci-fi? And sometimes, undoubtedly, it wasn't the science itself that was the fiction. So, there's an argument you made it wasn't science fiction. Sometimes, the science was extrapolated into the future, and so it would have at least in you know 1970, 71, 72, that mm. would have been science fiction. In this, I think they were much more overt about making it a science fiction story. Uh, to a certain degree, I was like, I was riding along with this going, okay, I don't know much about black holes. And I'm, I mean, I'm not a physicist, but then again, a lot of the viewing audience aren't going to be a physicist. And if they're not quite sure about this, They'll maybe argue up most of them are not physicists that well okay so you know you can you can you can say I'm not trying to make out that I'm kind of the arbiter of what's it you know acceptable right. fiction in this but but a lot of it they're they're talking kind of the ple the pleasing techno babble that you know gets you gets you through these things but there is there are quite a few points in this where you just go oh my god what like, even I am going to go, there is something strange about this gravity that can't get through a door in a rotting nuclear power station. They keep going on about how that they can turn off falling down. Because well, they were they, able to pass through it when they had it cycled down. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I Remember? forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, but, he, but as they were going into the room, I didn't catch... I'll tell you what, I, I missed part of it. And I, again, this was not a film that made me want to go back. Um, and go, oh, darn, somebody was talking during that two seconds. But when Zeist and Ross um, were were heading to um, the room, they reached that door and he said something, blah, 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 with it, with it off. If this if it weren't off, it would pull the fillings out of your teeth. And I assumed that they were talking about a huge electromagnet because I know they had electromagnets yes. in yes. there. And 
so they had turned it on. That made perfect sense to me. But I didn't actually hear what he was talking about at that moment. They went through the room. They went onto the roof. Um, they had their little conversation up there for no apparent reason. Then went back down through the room and then turned on whatever it was again. Now, Luke goes in there. What was it that was being drawn to it? If it was electromagnets, it's not him. It's not the fillings in his teeth. It looked no, like that gravity. That was the black yeah, hole. Yeah, it looked like the gravity, gravity of the, the black, black hole. hole. So, so yeah. the, electro, the electromagnets, as I understood it, were being used to to contain some aspect of it. Again, yeah. you know, I'm not a physicist, but what we saw when when uh, when Luke got dragged into it was the actual gravity. Later on, one of the men in black gets dragged into it. It's very, very evident from the way it's filmed that he's standing outside the door and he is not affected by it at all. Yes, he opens absolutely. the door. And he is sucked into it, sucked out, as if he's pulled pulled the door off an airplane fuselage in flight, and yes. you know, he's suddenly depressurized. It's that kind of effect, and you think, what? That's, what? What? Yeah. What is it that is in that door? In this? In the? In the? In the? Rotting fabric of, of an old nuclear power station that is supposed to be gravity proof. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put throw this one out there then. Um, one of the things. Obviously, this is a this has been a this has been a con- point of contention for forever in science fiction writers in particular, but but also in science fiction movies and TV. Although movies and TV generally are don't have this kind of dichotomy between hard science fiction and yeah. not. And in a way, I, I haven't gone through and a hundred percent analyzed everything in doom watch the series but they certainly are trying to be closer to hard science fiction and and perhaps at the time that it was made even things that we don't think of as hard science fiction were believed that they could be and this well, has the trappings, but, if, but, if you, but it's obviously not. This is yes. magical black yes. hole thinking. Exactly, exactly. So if you, if you look at if you look at an episode, you know, pick one of the ones that we we criticised for it for its kind of lack of realism or lack of lack of basis in actual, you know, the 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 consequences of science that they're trying to extrapolate. The, the human time bomb is a good example, I think. You, we you know we looked at that and, and went, well, it's just it's not realistic in. We understand what they're trying to do, but in the portrayal within the episode of the effects that that building had and the speed of those effects and the the you know the awareness people had of the effect on them and all the, all the kind of all of those things, I think we were quite critical of in in the way it was done within that episode. But that that was, I think, unintentional by the program makers they would they were aiming for something that was there was some kind of real science behind it they were trying to make a drama out of it in a way that was faithful faithful to the science and i think on the whole all that early doom watch stuff was much more you know in terms of the science it was more about hard science than it was about science fiction mm-hmm. whereas what i think you've got here is something that they would have known that this was this was nonsense. I mean, they they couldn't have not known that it was nonsense because they, or at least, did they even? They have had they had every opportunity. Yeah, if they'd asked someone, they would have found out. 
you know, if they've got a scientific but they advisor, use so either they, they chose not to have a Hawking. scientific advisor or they ignored what they were told. They, they threw out the name Hawking, so obviously they've done their research because uh, he's like <laughs> the go-to black hole guy. Um, yeah. It's this this thing's going to go full Hawking on us. It's like... You um, do your research on the coffee table. It, yeah. I, I, it's... One of the things that, you know, gets me about it is, and I'm sure you've heard this, when they were looking at firing up the Large Hadron collider there were i'm gonna say idiots but there were people who were convinced that it was going to form micro black holes and suck the world into it and kill us all the moment they turned it on there are people who were were very much in that camp and i have tried from a not a physicist standpoint to do a little looking into that and I got the impression that that fell into the same category as the notion that the first atomic bomb might destroy, start a chain reaction that would wipe out all the hydrogen in in the earth and, and instantly wipe us all out. That it was a thing that was postulated and quickly dismissed as not being within the parameters of the physics. It's like, that isn't going to happen. But nonetheless, there were still people that were, you know, if if they weren't for the physicists who had thought of it in the first place, then go, okay, you're right, it's not going to happen. Then there is the the people who hear about it later, and then, and then suddenly the mythos forms up. This is, oh no, no, people really thought that the Earth, that the entire Earth was going to blow up on the first atomic bomb. People really think that there's going to be a mini black hole forming when we turn on the hadron collider and wipe out the entire Earth, and it's. It's not really. I mean, physicists correct me on that, that that was that was basically ruled out in the mathematical models long, long before they ever turned the thing on. Um, but I, it feels like that is partially what drove this story. Somebody heard that urban legend and you know, long I mean, before the Hadron Collider. But I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with that kind of thing in itself, because that's that's kind of where the X-Files comes from. It it. it it takes these kind of conspiracy The X-Files is not meant to be serious. And, and, and 14 time stories or whatever. Well, it is in some don't, ways don't, serious. I mean, the kinds of stories don't. that you can tell with the X-Files are, are properly varied and can be incredibly dramatic and in some cases quite sort of, well, Okay, but they're not cautionary stroke, tales. Horrifying. They're, Doomwatch exactly, is a cautionary exactly. tale. And, it, and, and that's the whole point about this. This is Doomwatch. And, it, and therefore, the the the... Science, yeah, the science matters because it's about what what could happen with real science. It's about the real problems that already exist, which are bad enough without inventing any new ones. Yeah. So, yeah that that was my that was my thought. On the other hand, I'm I'm, I'm giving I'm giving them massive bonus points for actually including the techno babble. Reverse the polarity. I did hear that voice. I did hear that. Um, what did did you feel that that Tanner Hill missed out on a something important when he didn't go punch Zeist or or Ross <laughs> at the end? I, I I felt like there were two situations when when Tanner Hill was saying, "No, you got to dump the whole grid in it," and Zeist is going, "You can't do the grid because it's the PR and then the people will find out, and we, we don't have the we'll have to pay for it." Uh, that was a sad one. We'll have to pay for that. We'll have to pay for the power we're going to use to save the world. 
Yeah, <laughs> you're going to be paying for this for a long time, buddy. And and Zeiss, uh, uh, Tannehill says something like, if he speaks again, what did he say, throw him out? Yeah. Something like that. It's like, I thought for sure Zeiss was going to talk one more time and Tannehill was just going to roundhouse him. <laughs> and and then when it was all over and Zeiss said whatever dumb, oh, well, all's well, it ends well, or whatever the heck it was he said to Ross as Ross, you know, slowly is getting out the cigarette and kind of walking past him. I thought as he was walking past him, he was going to level him. And I know that's... <laughs> I, I realize that maybe that's an American TV thing, but at the same time, yeah, these guys were American cliches. Okay, yeah, they were cliches from word go. Shows. Yeah, but it still felt like the right thing to do um, from a dramatic standpoint. Is that that guy needed to that guy needed to be hurt? <laughs> he hurt a lot of people. He killed a lot of people. He da- endangered millions, billions, and. I don't know. It, it feels like a good Deccan was, at, at the very least, he deserved that um, <laughs> from from a standpoint of the story. I don't know. Um, I, and I think you said this earlier, and I, and I, I know I've said this during the course of the day. I really think Doom Watch is a show that could absolutely needs to exist. Yes. In this world. Doom Watch needs to exist. We need to, uh, we need to have a show that is really uh, talking about real dangers that we face, real problems. I would be so, I would be heartbroken, destroyed if somebody came up with a Doomwatch show and, you know, the first thing that they got up there and they were talking about the dangers of vaccines and that would not be Doomwatch, right? But I could totally see that, you know, but we have lots of technological things that we should be putting in front of your your brains and letting you mull over what could what le- legitimately could be the consequences of these technological and scientific advances because we do need to think about them i'm 100% for technological and scientific advancement but i'm 100% in favor of ethical scientific and technological advancement yeah. and we need doomwatch we we need we actually need doomwatch we don't just need the show <laughs> We need Doomwatch, but Absolutely. this wasn't it. Uh, this wasn't it, no. and I'm I, I'm deeply disappointed in this program. Uh, not just because I didn't think it was a very good film, but I mean I'm just deeply disappointed at how they missed the point of the show instead in turning it into a a disaster film. I mean, it, it has to be a disaster, film. but a vast disaster. Know, yeah, double disaster, double disappointment. <sighs> So, yeah, I'm I'm going to say somebody forget this completely if they try to remake Doom Watch. Um, oh, I yeah, because yes. the original Be- because of because of what they did with Quist. I mean, yeah, this isn't this isn't this is as 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 Doctor Who fans are fond of saying, this is not canon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did not die. Um, he's still out there. Doggone it. He was retired well, he, from being a pain he in the ass, and he that, never he gave it up. Didn't die in that way. Yeah, I, I, whatever, oh. whatever. It was. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. I. Yeah. No. No. This is. Yeah. This is not. This is not Doom Watch. Yeah. Well, Simon, uh, unless you have anything else, I've got. I've got one really important question to ask. Okay. You. Just. Just. At, just at the end there, in all that nonsense with 
putting all the power into the black hole and everywhere has, oh, yeah, has okay. gone blackout. Oh, okay, wait a minute. You know me, I'm going to ask. Me, you know what I'm going to ask. Go on. I, I do. Is it, may I ask why the hospital would go before the rest of the town? No, it wasn't that. That's interesting. Oh, okay, go I ahead. I spotted that. No, I was yeah. wondering, I was wondering when, um, when Tannehill's mobile phone went, where he was getting the signal from. <laughs> I didn't notice that one. I did, I did think about the phone and I go, well, it's, it's battery powered. Yeah, <laughs> but the I mobile antenna. Self towers, Yeah. Well, you see, now that's that. That goes back to the hospital. Hospitals don't go out when the grid goes down. Yes, that. that I mean, that is They've also got generators. an excellent point. That is, that and is I think cell phone point. towers do too. I mean, not necessarily generators, but I think they have they have some power backup. At least some of them do. Of course, I don't know. In 1999, maybe that's a very different different world. But, I mean, yeah, uh, I would be surprised in 99 because the the coverage isn't even. Anyway, I'm going to yeah. say. I mean, it's, we, we it's have, a small point to pick on, but at that point, I'm just. Yeah. I will. I will say this. This is. I'm sure I've had this comment with you at some point along the way, but I'm going to point it out here. This is a show that exists on that cusp in time, where now you would not have, you would not be able to do this story the way you've done it because they spend way, way too much time leaving messages on answer phones. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody's got a phone with them. There's that yeah, really nasty or, opening with the phone box. And you think, well, you just wouldn't do that because there are no phone boxes anymore. Yeah. But but also, you know, okay, yes, I call Quist and I he doesn't answer his phone because nobody actually answers their phone. It goes straight to voicemail. But you don't have to wait for him to get home to check his answering machine yeah. or not. Or you send him an email or all of that is gone. And yet some of the people did have phones. Like yeah, but to, to be fair, so was, 99 was like that. There were some people with phones. Right. They knew some of them. It, it, yeah, it was, on the, it was on the cusp of this change. And it felt to me like the writers, it feels to me like writers were a little bit slow on the uptick to, to kind of adapt to that world. Even on the X-Files, I remember thinking, you know, at this yeah, point, yeah. Well, wouldn't they well, just in particular whip because out their Quist, cell phone and call? Quist would have a cell phone, wouldn't he? I would think so. But then on the other hand, you know, technology, it's probably bad. So maybe he's, you know, he lives in a, he lives in a little cottage, probably has no computers or technology of any kind. He's, he writes equations <laughs> out by hand on paper. He could be a hermit. He could be a techno hermit <laughs> at this point. You know, he could be a, a cranky old crazy guy. So I don't know. We didn't, we didn't get enough of him. I mean, all we got was tired yeah. old man Yeah. In, in, in the course of this. So that it? That's it. Right. Well, sad, thank sad you for joining ending. me. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, though. I Yeah, Doom Watch has been a really interesting show. It has. It has. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.